Today we're going to be in Proverbs chapter 6. And as I was praying, you heard me say I'm, I'm praying my heart. And really, I think as I preach the sermon I'm about to preach about how we align ourselves, I think there's some wisdom here about um, who to not align ourselves with. And when I think about the church, I think if we should know this. If we're the people of God, we have the scriptures, we have the guidance, we have the Holy Spirit. And remember, as we've gone through the book of Proverbs, I continually want to remind you that, that the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament, we could see in the form of wisdom and discernment, guiding the people of Israel. But also that these are teachings, as we're going to see again in verse 1, that a father would pass on to their son. And as a father, and I know there, I have some older fathers here too in the church, um, I don't ever want to be in a place where I tell my children on my deathbed, oh, I wish I should have said this earlier. And where my son is right now, and I, I look at Ian, he's in a similar age group, and we got a few others who are in that similar age group. You know, Logan, you're still relatively young. You're in a position that if you can gain some of this wisdom now, it'll save you a lot of problems in life. But there is a problem sometimes where kids want to learn on their own, and no matter how hard you tell them, they're like, I'm going to do it my way anyways. But as we read this, I think that sometimes we can't just think about how others need to know this. We need to apply it ourselves. And when I think about the church and how we should know better, the reality is sometimes even though we should know better, even in the church, we make these same mistakes. The scripture is here to guide us. It's right there for us. And we can read it. We can apply it. And we can say, how great is this that we have this? But the reality is sometimes we turn a blind eye to it and we go our own way anyways and we make the wrong mistakes. And so here as your pastor, my heart is for you as like a sheep that's going out to the pasture and we'll see a, a, a wolf on the horizon and, and let's pull ourselves back in away from that wolf and stay close together because the enemy is that wolf. The enemy, we know, is like that lion who's looking to devour us. And as I read the scriptures that we're going to read today, I just see a type of person out there that if we align ourselves with that person, it's going to hurt us. Now, here's the thing. You say, well, pastor, didn't, didn't Jesus, wasn't he a man among sinners? Didn't Jesus go out into the world? And didn't he like reject the religious people and go out and be with the world? Yes, all that's true. But here's what I'm telling you. Jesus aligned himself only with the father. He was known to be hanging out with the prostitutes and the drunks and the tax collectors. They knew that he was hanging out with those people, but Jesus himself was never one of them. And so there's this line that even as we try to minister, and I, you know, I just finished praying for your adult children, and sometimes we care so much for people that we, we attach ourselves to people. And my warning is that be careful, even in trying to minister to people, who you attach yourself to who you make deals with, 
who you make promises to. Oh man, I got myself into trouble this weekend. I'll tell you that. I made a promise to Julia that I would be there for her hockey tournament. And I put Joel's hockey bag in my bag, in my car with Julia's because I thought, how's Joel going to get his hockey equipment? Because he's at his friend's house. I'm going to have to drive it there. Not thinking Amy Beth maybe could have driven it there. I thought, thinking that Julia's tournament would be over on time for me to be there. Well, Julia goes, her team goes and wins the first two games of the tournament, which means she's made now the latest game, which, the finals, at 4 p.m. Guess when Joel's tur- game is at? 4 p.m. So I had to tell Julia, I'm sorry, I can't stay. I have to go bring Joel his hockey equipment. Well, you all, you can't leave me. I'm in the final. I'm, you know, this is, we made it. We, we did so well and you're leaving me. Joel can have someone else watch him. You always watch Joel, all this. And I felt so bad. Like if I didn't have his hockey bag, you're right. But he needs to play his game too. And your coach is willing to drive you home. Now she's forgiven me. I kind of forced her to forgive me. And uh, so it's all good. But like, I. I learned my lesson and it's a small lesson and hopefully she doesn't hold it against me too much. But you could see how if I made promises repeatedly over time where I was breaking those promises, how dangerous that could be for a little girl who's going to be a woman someday. And if I, you know, and some of you have had parents where that was the theme, the, the, the empty words, the broken promises. And here's the, the reality is, church, is that we align ourselves with people with our words. Just like I was telling, you know, Macy and Joel who picked the stamp, that the stamp, you know, says that this is from this person. We stamp ourselves to people. We connect with people. Our words are what's sealing ourselves with those people. So we have to be careful how we align with people. Um, this Over the Christmas holidays, I was listening to uh, a book by Timothy Keller, and he uh, is a preacher who passed away this past year and, and known as a, a modern-day theologian, and he used the word, of a, of a Christian, something that should mark us, that should seal us, is this word called prudence. I was like, oh, I got to remind myself, what does that mean? He used a, 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 a word there that I have an idea of it, but I got to look up the definition so that I know for sure. And it was to not be quick to make a judgment. To not be quick to enter into a situation, and and, and when it comes to what I'm going to be preaching today, what we're going to be reading here in Proverbs chapter 6, to align ourselves with something. And I thought, oh, this is good. Amy Beth and I, we've been wanting to buy Amy Beth a, a new car. Well, when we buy a new car, it's a new used car. We don't buy new cars. We buy used cars. We, we just find it better that way. We don't. And here's one reason why we don't do that. We don't do that because when you sign on the paper that says you're going to make a financial payment, you got to stick to that. You can't say you're going to make that financial payment every month for a new... Now, some of you, you're fine. You're, you're doing that. You're going to sign the paper. You're going to drive the nice vehicle that doesn't break down. I'm happy for you because i got to take mine to the mechanic. That's the choice I've made. But one reason why we've made that choice is because we don't want that financial commitment because we've, we'd rather have the freedom to use our finances somewhere else. We'd rather pay the mechanic than the guy who's making the car, I guess. That's the choice we've made. You know, you got to make, make your choice, and I'm not making any judgments for those who choose to buy news new car, but used cars. Um, that's just, you know, one way or another. But the reality is think through those situations. You're going to align yourself with someone there. But this word prudence came up and I thought, oh, I'm glad we don't rush into these decisions. We haven't bought a new used car yet. 
because we want to make sure it's the right situation. Now, we don't want to be lazy and delay too long, so we're praying and we're hoping the right situation comes up. But I want to use wisdom. I want prudence. I want us as a church to make decisions, but I want us to have wisdom in when we make decisions. I think too far what's marked my early young career as a minister has said, oh, I want to do this, or I want to do that, and, you know, get all excited, and I run out ahead of everyone, and I look behind me, and I'm the only one up there by myself because I've over-promised and under-delivered in some ways in trying to make things great for myself. And the reality is, if we take our time, look who we're making our promises to, not aligning ourselves with the right, the wrong people, but with the right people. I think this is the wisdom that Proverbs offers. So let's read Proverbs chapter six. It says, my son, if you have put up security for your neighbor, if you have shaken hands in pledge for a stranger, you have been trapped by what you said ensnared by the words of your mouth. See, your words, what you say can trap yourself. And I've seen well-intentioned people. You have all the good desires. You are such a caring, empathetic, em, empathetic person. I don't want to say pathetic, empathetic person. You just, and, and, and we've, we, in our family, sometimes we'll say, oh, that person's just trying to be a martyr, right? Like they're just, they're giving themselves up for everyone else. And in the reality, they don't realize how much they're actually hurting themselves. Because by promising the world to someone and not being able to deliver, they're only putting themselves in a situation where they're completely drained, they're completely gassed. They're, and, and, they're, and especially when I think of this situation, apply this to finances, these first three verses, right? And people who make loans. And think about what Jesus said when it comes to lending money. I'll remind you, Jesus said, when you lend, do not expect anything in return. Because what happens? We start making promises. Oh, I'll pay you back. You know, I'll give you some money and I'll pay you back. And then what happens when you can't pay someone back? Oh, I just lost my job. I was going to pay you back, but now they've cut back my hours. Oh, our car broke down. We got to buy a new car. Oh, like, and then you're in a situation where you can't. And what happens to the relationship, right? And we think, well, what if it's family, right? Can't we take care of family? But then who has not seen where family falls apart because of financial deals that fell through? Listen, as a pastor, I have the privilege often of being with people on their deathbeds and then helping them plan a funeral. It is sad how often people are not there by their loved one's sides because of these situations. This is warning. I want to warn us to say we can still be compassionate. We can still be empathetic. We can still be loving. What marks these verses different from being compassionate and loving to what this is saying? It's saying the promises with our mouth. Again, what I was telling the kids, the, the, how we're attaching, aligning ourselves with other people. See, if my kids come to me at a later age and I don't believe I should give them some money that I don't have to give them, 
I might have to say no, because if I promise this to you and I can't deliver, I don't want it to ruin my relationship with you and my relationship with God by failing to fulfill promises that I've made with my mouth. And they'd have to learn to understand that. Now, pray for your pastor. My kids are young. They haven't asked too much. Slipping them a 20 is different than trying to help them buy a house, right? And there will be days where they want to go to college, university, or buy houses. And that's going to be a different world for me. Some of you know what that might be like right now, where you want to help, but you also know these words to be true, and you know you can't promise things you can't deliver on because it'll break relationships. And even saying no, sometimes you're afraid of breaking relationships, right? But there's wisdom here. I think that it's easier to recover from saying no than saying yes and then having a broken promise. I think that's what the scripture is trying to teach us here. Verse, um, verse three says, do this, my son, to free yourself since you will fall into your neighbor's hands. Go to the point of exhaustion and give your neighbor no rest. Allow no sleep to your eyes, no slumber to your eyelids. Free yourself like the gazelle from the hand of the hunter, like the bird from a snare of the fowler. Some of you have made promises already that you're already trying to take back. And what the the writer of Proverbs here is saying, do whatever you can to make good on your promises or to free yourself from those promises. Sometimes you have to go to people who you've broken a promise with and say, I am sorry. I said this, I couldn't deliver. I'm sorry, it didn't work out between us. Uh, I'm the one at fault. You know, one of the, as parents, some of our biggest mistakes is when we act like we've done nothing wrong. Well, you should have known better. No, you can't tell people that all the time. Sometimes you have to acknowledge, I was wrong to free yourself up in your relationships. There is power in admitting when we've made mistakes and we need mercy. I had a friend one time, he had to go to court. He had some kind of fine or some kind of ticket. I forget what the circumstances were, but he's like, I'm not going to get a lawyer. I can't afford a lawyer, but I'm going to go. A liar, lawyer, there's a Freudian slip. Um, I'm going to go to the court myself and I'm going to defend myself. Um, and he's, he said, my, my, um, my case is this. I'm going to simply ask for mercy. Tell the judge I was actually wrong and I plead for mercy. I think he was reading the scriptures in the New Testament where there's a story like this. And he was amazed. Well, he wasn't amazed because he believes the scriptures. He was, he was happily uh, excited to tell me that that worked. That, that, that we, we actually, the, I think the world needs to see more mercy, more grace, in the ability to know that, yes, you might have promised something. Yes, you might have fallen short of your promises, but there's a way out. You can free yourself if you're willing to, what? Humble yourself. It takes humility to admit that you're wrong. And what I see is that people who get themselves in these types of situations, who can't get themselves out, are the people who never admit they made a mistake in the first place. Right? Right? So verse six tells us, go to the ant, you sluggard, consider its ways and be wise. We've all looked at the little ant, right? Who's carrying way more than its own body weight and how they dig these giant 
tunnels underground and how hard they work. Church, sometimes we get ourselves into trouble. Into trouble. The only way out is hard work. It has no commander, no overseer or ruler, yet it stores up its provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest. How long will you lie there, you sluggard? When will you get up from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come on you like a thief and scarcity like an armed man. See, a lot of the problems when we've made these types of alliances with people is that someone's not holding up their end of the bargain. Sometimes it's us. And like I said, the best thing we can do is to admit it. Sometimes it's the other person. And often it comes down to what it's saying right here is that people are looking for an easy way out. If I align myself with this person, maybe they'll do more of the work. And they're looking at you. If I align myself with that person, maybe they'll do more of the work. I was like that as a student when I had to pick a, um, uh, do a science project. I was not good at science. And so I looked for the smartest girl in the class and I said, who's going to help me get through this project? And the reality is the scripture's telling me, don't do that, Thomas. You do the work. I would gain more information and have been way better at science if I didn't rely on the smart girl in the class, if I just did it myself and worked to be a smart person. I am a much better student this time around, I can tell you that, than I was back then. But it does take, what, hard work. Life is hard work. The, the Bible starts with man and woman in a garden where everything's taken care of for them. And when sin enters the world, what is the first thing God says to man? It's gonna be hard work. And so here the scripture's warning that when we make alliances, when we look around and see what kind of people we want to be, we need to look for people who are willing to do hard work. I recognize this myself in terms of how the church is run. Sometimes less is more because if we say, hey, let's go and do this program or that program or let's, let's, let's go and do all kinds of evangelism and, and, and make all these promises, but there's no one to do the work, it ain't happening. It's better to say, what do we have? How can we maximize the people that we have here and say, what are we willing to do that we won't get overly fatigued? But here's the problem. We also still need to do hard work. We still need to find what the Lord would want us to do and set our minds to it and go and do it. Verse 12, a troublemaker and a villain who goes about with a corrupt mouth who winks maliciously with his eye. You ever seen someone do that? Signals with his feet and motions with his finger, who plots evil with his deceit in his heart, and he always stirs up conflict. It's interesting that the writer of Proverbs is talking about how someone winks with his eye, eh? signals with his feet, and motions with his fingers. Um, listen, as a preacher, I know this, that you can easily deceive people with body language, with a nice nice smile, uh, uh, you know, using your hands to speak, you know, pointing your feet in a certain direction. Let's go this way. Church, it's easy to get deceived. Just this week, I got an email saying, would you like your son to participate in a hockey tournament in France where he could be seen by many scouts? I look at the, the email and I'm like, where's this even coming from? 
I send back an email reply. How did you hear about my son playing hockey? And they said, oh, yeah, one of my colleagues sent me something. So I sent back another email. Who are your colleagues? Nothing back. What does that tell you? People who here have had those types of gummy people try to get a hold of you. They just want your money. Actually, in the email, it said, there's still opportunity. Sign up quickly. Again, prudence, right? Don't do it quickly, church. If you have, here's, here's, here's some wisdom right here. If, if they're saying you have to do it now or you can't have it later, don't do it. Don't do it. There's nowhere in the scripture do I see where we need to rush into a situation the only situation that I think that, that, that you need to make a decision, that, that it's better to make a decision now, it's following Jesus. But always better now. But I don't see any other decision where having wisdom and taking your time and using uh, discernment doesn't help us in the long run. Maybe you can think of one and you can tell me about it later. But when I think of people who try to convince us, as the scripture is saying, with a, with a wink, with, with their fingers... They're plotting deceit in their heart. They're lying to us. They're trying to stir up conflict, it says. Therefore, disaster will overtake him in an instant and he will suddenly be destroyed without remedy. Over the holidays, I, um, I was, you know, when you're like, okay, so I had a break from school. I had a three-week break from school and uh, we were visiting family. So uh, forgive me, but I was being a little bit of a sluggard at one point where I was just on my phone scrolling. Come on, you're all guilty once in a while of doing that. I try not to do it too much, but I had a moment. And what I got caught up in watching was um, people who try to catch the scammers. So I was just talking about the scammers. I, wa I was watching YouTube videos of people who catch the scammers in person. They're scamming the scammers. And you should see when the scammers find out that they're that they know that they're scammers. They freak out. Anyways, this verse here, verse 15, makes me think about that. Therefore, disaster, disaster will overtake them in an instant, and he will suddenly be destroyed with, without remedy. And that's what happens to some of these scammers. When they get the right people after them, and they find out sometimes uh, their location, they start freaking out, and they, and they end up in prison. And, uh, and that's the thing. If you're trying to make a living by deceit, you're in trouble. And I even had a friend and he was working, he was doing a good job. He was working as a carpenter, but his boss didn't want to pay taxes. So he's paying them under the table. And I said to my friend, I said, he was a young man. He was kind of similar age to Logan. I said, you can't do that. It's going to catch up to you somehow. Now, thankfully he got out of it before it did catch up to him, but it's either going to be your boss or you who's going to get in trouble at some time. And then all of a sudden, you know, they're going to audit it and, you know, tax evasion can be a serious crime. Don't get caught up in this. Don't do it. And then the next few verses here are what we've uh, coined the seven deadly sins. You ever heard of the seven deadly sins? It comes from this passage where it, it lists out seven things that are detestable to the Lord. So when we're, again, when we're aligning ourselves with the Lord or with others, this is what the Lord's trying to tell us to look out for. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, 
a false witness who pours out lies, and a person who stirs up conflict in the community. I think some of these are obvious. Like, I don't think I have to go too far in depth in terms of why God doesn't like these things, why God doesn't want these to be a part of his community of faith. You even think of the Pharisees, right? Was the Pharisees' issues that they loved God? No, the Pharisees' issues is that they claimed to love God, but then they had deceit in their heart. Jesus was looking beyond what they were saying and looking at their hearts to what was the intent of their heart. And there was things in them that proved that they were the ones who I think the scripture can apply to. Now, church, just because you come to church, just because you're part of a community of faith, doesn't mean we can't get trapped by people or ourselves even become one of these people where we're caught up in these sins. And one, the one that I've seen in the church the most, if I read this list, is the last one. A person who stirs up conflict in the community. We are not above this church. And yet it's something the Lord detests. It's people we're not supposed to align ourselves with. And dare I say, it's something that as a pastor, I've had the trouble in my own heart with from time to time. Not wanting to stir up conflict, but wanting to fight fire with fire. Uh, I remember the first time I got had church conflict. New pastor, just in the, in the pulpit, trying to uh, run a church, and I got conflict. At the time, uh, the bishop's name was Keith Alford, and he came and visited me. And I said, here's the situation, uh, Bishop. I, I, we got conflict in my church, and it's all surrounding this person. And I don't know what to do about it. And he said to me, you're in a tug of war. You're in a tug of war. How do you make the person on the other side of the rope in a tug of war fall on their butt? You let go of the rope. You let go of the rope and they fall on their butt, right? And so church, when we see conflict arise, even with people who we have to align ourselves with, I'm going to tell you, we are a church. Our motto is to live and love like Jesus, which means when anyone comes into this church, anyone can walk into this church and we believe they are welcome here. We don't believe the church will fall on their head. We're not going to kick them out no matter what they do. Well, actually, the, there are certain scriptures that say there are certain limits to which, but the first day they come in, they're welcome here, right? And so we will love them. Where was I? I just lost my train of thought. It's a good, good thought that, that, that we'll love them as they come in. Stirring up conflict. Thank you. But if that person comes and starts to get us against each other, and I've seen it, I've seen it, I've seen it. I'm not talking about the situation I was talking about in my first church. I've seen it in um, some other pastors who I know have had someone, they invited them in, and the first thing they did was put that person on the board. The next few, few years, that pastor was no longer pastoring that church, and then a few years after that, those people were no longer even attending the church, and the church was disrupted, left in shambles, and wondering what had happened because they trusted someone who they probably shouldn't have trusted. It's a warning. How do we take all of what we've just read there in Proverbs and how do we deal with it as believers? 
we make mistakes. We've all been through situations like this where we see others in our community who go through situations like this where we've aligned ourselves with the wrong type of person or made promises we couldn't deliver on. And what do we do? Here's what I love about the scriptures. We are all like sheep who've gone astray. We are all guilty. Not one of us is righteous. We all need Jesus, which gives me so much hope. Because even though I've made mistakes and I've seen other people make mistakes, stirring up conflict, making promises they couldn't deliver on, people who have ill intention in their heart, liars and haughty eyes and all these things in the church, guess what? Who is the head of the church? It's Jesus. And here's how I know we can move forward no matter what. As long as what I was telling the kids during the children's moment, as long as we align ourselves with Jesus, I believe we can make it through any situation where we've made mistakes. And here's why. Because our faith, the Christian religion, which is all about Jesus, depends on forgiveness. It depends on the fact that when we've gone through these situations with other people, when we couldn't pay our bills or make follow through on our promises, Jesus shows up and says, I will pay the bill. I will pay the fine. I did it 2,000 years ago on the cross. All of our sins, all of our failures, all of our promises unkept are on the cross. And he died for them. Doesn't that make, give you hope that no matter wh who comes in the doors, we can survive and we could overcome? Actually, I look forward to the day where some shady people come through our church doors and they get transformed by the love of Jesus and we get to extend mercy and grace. Now, for me to say that means church, be on your guard though. Because if we want to be a bold church that reaches a world of lost sinners who we were once, that means we only align ourselves with Jesus and we don't put our faith in man. That means if the next Billy Graham comes in the door, might be a great preacher, and Pastor Thomas might even say, here's the pulpit. If they say anything contrary to Jesus, we've only aligned ourselves with Jesus. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we read the scriptures and there's so much wisdom there, so much warning on how to work with people and who not to work with and how to guard our own hearts. But as I read some of those scriptures, I, Lord, I recognize we just need you more. The wisdom itself is great, but how often does that wisdom seem to evade us and we seem to forget about it in the time we need it most. What we need is to know that your presence, your indwelling presence is always with us and that you will never leave us nor forsake us. And even the moments where we go our own way, you pull us back onto your path because you are gracious, you're compassionate, you're loving, and you died for every mistake we've made and, we, and you rose from the dead 
to show that you have power over death. You have power over our sin, that you are greater than any failure that we've ever done. Lord, it gives me so much hope. Lord, I pray that in 2024, as we've entered into a new year and are a few weeks in already, Lord, that new people would come through these doors. And Lord, we don't want to put our trust into people, but we want to get to know them and we want to offer them relationship with you, Jesus, and relationship with us. But we pray that you would protect us, but you would also help us as a church Love people who are unlovable and extend mercy and grace to people who've never seen mercy and grace in their lives. We pray for those who we would even consider our enemies, people who would try to steal from us, people who would lie to us, people who would actually wish that we fail as a church. We pray for them, Lord, that you would shower your grace upon them so much that they would be like a person that melts into a puddle in your love and be completely transformed and remade into a new person because that's what you've done for us. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your grace. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. We'll have the worship team come up and lead us in a closing song.